0: Way out of here. This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, October 19th, 2021. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk, the Rev. I'm Buster only working from my home in New York. And just before we started taping today, Taylor, some breaking news. That's right. News breaking this morning. First, Jack Curry of the Yes Network that Aaron Boone is returning as the Yankees manager. Three years plus an option that contract uh, going through the 2025 season. I know on social media that there were Yankee fans going, what are they doing? We'll be talking about that deal with Sarah Langs coming up. Last night at Fenway Park, game three of the series between the Red Sox and the Astros. And Eduardo Rodriguez looked pumped up, his velocity very high.
1: Rodriguez has his sign. pitch on the way, and a swing and a miss to get
0: him. Eduardo Rodriguez strikes out the side. That was Dan Schulman on ESPN Radio. Now, Jose Arquidi started for the Houston Astros, and he was in serious trouble in the second inning. A worst-case scenario for the Astros – because they desperately need some traction with their starting pitching some kind of length, and Jose Altuve didn't help.
1: Here's the 2-2, and a fastball bounced to second. Tricky hop, and it's off the body of Altuve, and everybody is safe. Martinez in to score. The bases remain loaded, and it is two to nothing.
0: Yep, bases remain loaded with Kyle Schwarber at the plate.
1: 3-0. And swinging, Schwarber hits one toward the right field corner. It is gone! Another grand slam for the Boston Red Sox after they hit two in game two. And Kyle Schwarber has given the Red Sox a 6-0 lead.
0: Another grand slam for the Boston Red Sox, which generated all kinds of overnight notes from ESPN stats and information in the Alaska Sports Bureau. The Red Sox are the first team all time to hit three grand slams in a single playoff series. Second team to hit three in a single postseason, the other being the 1998 Braves. The Red Sox have hit as many grand slams the last two playoff games they did during the entire regular season the first time in franchise history that they had three grand slams in a two-game span. They're the first team all-time to score at least eight runs through three innings twice in a single postseason. They've done it in consecutive games, and they've scored 51 runs in their last six games, most by any team in a six-game span in the playoffs since the 2007 Red Sox, who scored 52 in the final six games in that postseason. So this was a complete debacle for the Houston Astros that they were behind and even after Keating was taken on the second inning the runs continued
1: now the pitch to Arroyo and he hits it hard to left field and gone a line drive that goes into the first row of seats up above the monster a bullet off the bat of Arroyo to make it nine to nothing
0: yeah so for the Astros a terrible scenario Kyle Tucker Did bring them back a little bit in the top of the fourth.
1: The left-hander sets, eyeing Alvarez at first in the 0-2. Swung on and hit high and deep to right. Going to back, Renfro, running out of room. This one's going to go.
0: It is a three-run home run for Kyle Tucker. But Eduardo Rodriguez would lock it down from there, striking out Carlos Correa to end the top of the sixth inning. And as Eduardo Rodriguez walked off the mound, he had a little taunting gesture about Correa pointing. At his watch. Carlos Correa,
1: who was pointing at his watch in game one when he hit that go-ahead home run in the seventh, saying, it's my time. Look at Alex Cora with Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah, he's going to tell him right here, great job, but no need to do anything like that.
0: Yeah, that's what he did. As Joe Buck and John Smoltz laid out on Fox, Alex Cora yelled at Eduardo Rodriguez when he saw him making the gesture, saying no, and then talked to him directly in his ear as he stepped off the field. In the bottom of the sixth inning, J.D. Martinez piled on.
1: Runner at first, two down, 9-3 Red Sox, bottom six, and the 0-1 to J.D. Martinez is hit a long way to left field, and it's gone. What a shot. Off the bat of Martinez, a two-run homer to make it
0: 11-3. Dan Showman on ESPN Radio and leave it to Rafael Devers to apply the coup de grace.
1: And the pitch from Stanek is hit high in the air to left field towards the monster. McCormick turns and he'll watch it go. How about Rafael Devers? Opposite field home run, his fourth of the postseason.
0: So the Astros lost the game. Their starting pitching is in complete shambles. But after the game, a lot of the conversation was about Alex Cora and what he said to Eduardo Rodriguez. Here was Alex.
2: Don't do that. And why? Because we don't, we, we don't act that way. I mean, you know, we, we just show up, we play, and we move on. And uh, he knows. I, I let him know. He, you know, we don't have to do that. You know, if we're looking for motivation outside of what we're trying to accomplish, we're in the wrong business. You know, the only motivation we have is to win four games against them and move move on to the next round.
0: There Besides that, Eduardo Rodriguez talking about what happened. I mean, that, that, was something that was part of the game. You know, I mean, uh, I mean the moment, the atmosphere, and everything.
1: Um, I really want to say apologize because I do that, you know, but like like I say, it just was it just was part of the game, you know. So something that like sometimes. That some things get in your mind and you just do things like that but i really like i feel bad right now because i do that you know what i mean but a good thing we win the game and go
0: out there and win another one tomorrow alex court talked about kyle schwarber
1: i always
2: said that it was like for for christmas you know you you're on vacation with your kids and everything you know like and then all the gifts are under the tree but they're back home and and for us our guy we knew he was gonna have an impact but we had to be patient. Well, we were patient. We didn't play good ba- baseball. The Rays played great. And then, you know, they did what they did. And they won the, you know, they they kind of like won the division in August. But uh, he's he's been amazing for us.
0: Yeah, he's talking about the fact that Kyle Schwarber was hurt when the Red Sox acquired him. The Red Sox waited for Schwarber's hamstring to get better. And he's been terrific. Dusty Baker, the Astros manager, talked about game three.
2: You know, they count as one. You know, we come back and win tomorrow. You know, the series is even. I mean, you don't like it. I'm not very happy about it. But, I mean, you know, you got to flush this one because you can't bring this one or the last one back, you know, until tomorrow. Like I said, you don't
0: like it tonight, but the sun's going
2: to come up in the morning.
0: Zach Ranke has thrown one inning in the postseason so far. He's thrown a total of 12 and a third innings since the end of August. Dusty Baker said last night he needs him to go as long as possible. We'll be talking about the issue with the Astros rotation coming up with Sarah Langs. First pitch is part of ESPN Nation brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. The Chicago Cubs introduced Carter Hawkins as their new general manager after he spent 14 seasons with the Cleveland Indians. We'll hear from him later in the podcast. The Giants plan to exercise Buster Posey's $22 million option for 2022 if he wants to keep playing. The Giants felt like that Buster Posey was arguably the best catcher in baseball this year. Meanwhile, the Mets' request to talk to Brewers exec David Stearns was reportedly turned down. Billy Bean withdrew his name for consideration with the Mets, and we already know Theo Epstein was out. So the Mets seem to be back at square one. We'll talk about that. Out in L.A., the Dodgers and Braves prepared for Game 3. Here's Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager, talking about Justin Turner's status for Game 3. Justin is
1: here um, getting treatment as we speak. I I don't anticipate him doing much baseball activity, but feels better than he did yesterday. And uh, so my expectation is he'll be in the lineup tomorrow.
0: Walker Buehler starts for the Dodgers today, and he talked about wanting to pitch deep into the game. Certainly the
3: plan, trying and uh, and get... Deep in the game, same same as kind of always and, and throughout the season, but uh, yeah, kind of got our backs against the wall and and hopefully can
0: can get us deep into it. And he needs to give some rest to that uh, Dodgers bullpen, which has been stressed so much over the last week. Brian Setker, the Braves manager, talked about how this Braves team is more mature than last year's Braves team.
4: I think it's probably a year's more maturity as a club and, and experiencing what we did and You know, I've said before, we found out how hard it is to win a game. And I think you can't take anything for granted, and you got to go into, you know, you got to go after today. And, um, but I think, you know, with a year's experience and in the same position, that these guys are better versed for it right now.
0: Charlie Morton starts game three for the Braves, and he talked about Atlanta making the playoffs.
5: Yeah, realistically, like, I don't, I didn't see a reason why we couldn't win the division. Um, And then once you get in the playoffs, and I'm speaking f- from the perspective of I guess where my mindset was at in July, and then if you if you win the division and then you know anything can happen in the postseason, obviously Ronnie got hurt, and then Alex made some tremendous moves at the deadline, and obviously, I think everybody's outlook certainly changed to some degree. i don't i I wasn't sitting there in July thinking we have
0: no shot to do anything in the division this year. The National League playoff game is this afternoon. The Red Sox and Astros game is tonight, 8 o'clock Eastern time on FS1. All right, Taylor, what do you got? Buster, you can watch those games on FS1, or you can listen
4: to them on ESPN Radio. Braves, Dodgers, Game 3. Tune in time for that is 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Then Astros, Red Sox, tune in for Game 4 at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, on ESPN Radio. Also, Wednesday, October 20th is the NBA opening night doubleheader on ESPN. You've got Celtics at Knicks for the East Coast game, and then Nuggets at Suns for the West Coast game. Two great matchups to tip off the NBA. NBA season on ESPN and the ESPN app, one app, one tap. And also Buster, I just finished recording episode two of bald men on campus. ESPN's new college basketball podcast. We are looking at the big 10 and the pac 12 great vibes from our, our dudes, Seth Greenberg, Lafonso Ellis and Jay Billis. Go check that out.
0: Wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. Call one 800 DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com Buster. Just go to Indeed.com Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing today?
6: I'm doing great, Buster. How are you?
0: Oh, scramble it, because just before the podcast, we got the news that uh, Aaron Boone is returning as the Yankees manager. And I you know, posted the details of his contract, three years plus an option that is in 2025. And the response back was like hitting, being hit by a tidal wave of frustration with a lot of Yankee fans. It's clear, Sarah, that the Yankees are looking at Aaron Boone from 30,000 feet, right? They're not looking at what was wrong in the, in the wild card game or what didn't go right with, you know, maybe that uh, reliever move or what didn't go right with this move. They're looking at a manager whose teams averaged 98 wins a year for the last three full seasons and someone that they feel like they can really work well with.
6: Absolutely. I mean, You know, I understand that the Yankees haven't won a World Series since 2009, and I know that that's what's on fans' minds, but you'd be very hard-pressed to find a start to a managerial career better than Aaron Boone's if you look at total wins and everything else that you just cited, and I think it's a good thing that the Yankees are not necessarily just making the decisions that their fans may want or not want, and ultimately, if they win a World Series in the next few years, the fans are going to calm down about. This, but you know, this is a good reminder that these decisions are not always as simple as fans tend to think they are in terms of, oh, there was a bad pitching decision here, there was a bad. Pinch hit here, whatever else it might be, but that it's looking, as you said, more broadly at the managerial tenure, which has been great so far. And I think the mere fact that I believe you were reporting last week that the Padres might be interested and other teams might be interested if Boone wasn't to return to the Yankees was all that anybody needed to know in terms of how well respected he is as a manager, that he likely would have been managing another team next year, even if it weren't the Yankees.
0: Yeah, I, I and I think that's uh, you know, that the the question that the Yankees well, I'm sure we're posing within their organization with probably along the lines of the, what the Mets are currently talking about with the head of baseball operations, okay, uh if we're looking for somebody, who's that gonna be? Right? Uh if it's not gonna be Aaron Boone's manager, who's it going to be, assuming that, you know, it's not gonna be a Buckshow Walter, um, you know, on a on a two-year deal. Uh as I, you know, talked about in the podcast last week, you talk to people around the game, and they feel like there's a real dearth of managerial candidates, which I think you would agree with me is not a surprise because you know, for years there was a natural development of managerial candidates where they would work in the minor leagues and maybe, you know, manage a, a low A-ball team and then work up to AAA get some experience and then move up to the big leagues. Maybe after being a coach on a staff, there was like a natural progression where now you see managers installed like Jace Tingler, who has no man who had no managerial experience whatsoever in that job. And what that means is is that just not there hasn't been a natural development uh, of candidates in the way that we might have seen 20 years ago.
6: Definitely it feels like there isn't quite a pipeline in the same way. And, you know, there was, as you said, kind of that uh, group of managers who were hired with very little or no experience. I mean, even Alex Cora and Aaron Boone did not have significant. Cora had been, of course, a coach with the Astros, but only for a year. Um, And the idea that you needed to have Grind in the minor leagues and done all of these things first kind of sem- seemed to be disappearing. But I also think that it was a really great crop of baseball people who were known that they would succeed. I mean, Tingler obviously had his issues with that team this year and that team had its own separate issues. But Boone and of course, we're going to talk about Alex Cora later were great picks and it doesn't necessarily mean that there are other individuals just standing there who necessarily have that inclination after not going through everything else. So I just think it's very hard to zero in on who those candidates might be. And it doesn't feel like a couple of years ago when there were so many names swirling of who it might be. Now those names swirling are, as you mentioned, the Buck Walters and kind of the more experienced names.
0: I would say this, the fact that Aaron Boone now has a three-year contract in place means that if the Yankees have another disappointing season uh, in 2022, that the onus will squarely fall on the shoulders of general manager, Brian Cashman, who's going the last year of his contract. Um, he will be left to answer as far as the fan base is concerned for whatever happens. Cause Booney is now the manager for at least a couple of years. Right? So it'll be yeah. very interesting to see how this progresses. As I've said before, I would not be surprised if you see the Yankees really aggressive in this offseason, adding help, trying to plug the holes that developed during the course of this year. All right, let's talk about the Dodgers and Braves. The first game later today, Uh, I feel like and I've, I've been asked this question on SportsCenter this morning and a couple other places. And it seems incredibly obvious the answer to this question. What could turn this series for the Dodgers?
6: I mean, I think that their pitching getting in order is one thing, but I think the most obvious thing is hitting with runners in scoring position, right? They were one for eight in game one and one for 10 in game two. We've seen them really aggressive on the base pass. I've loved all the stolen bases, and I think that's been great to see. But, you know, whether or not we're hitting with runs in scoring position is really a skill or if it's some sort of randomness is kind of an ongoing conversation, especially on the stats side. But the fact is, they're not doing it. And that's not what we saw from this team across the year. The fact they only have two hits in those situations is the reason that they got walked off on in each of those first two games. So if even a couple of those at bats were base hits, they probably win both of those games. So to me, that seems like the simplest answer of what they need to fix.
0: All right, maybe um, and I don't. You went uh, a layer deeper than I would have expected because <laughs> I feel like that it's uh, it's about Walker Bueller, right? Yeah. The the old mantra of you know momentum is next day starting pitcher. It feels like that absolutely applies in this case because Walker Bueller is someone who you know he could restore the Dodgers pitching staff in terms of getting guys the rest that they need by pitching into deep into today's game. And he's someone who absolutely is capable of dueling Charlie Morton today. What do you think?
6: Totally. Well, you know what? The first thing I said there was getting their pitching in order, and that's yep. absolutely something that yep. – they have the ability to do by having such a strong starter like him. I mean, we haven't really talked about the lack of Clayton Kershaw during this postseason run because it hasn't really hurt them, but you could argue that this moment when they're pitching kind of got out of whack, right? Where Scherzer got that save and that was so exciting, but then that pushed him to game two and then even in game two, he didn't go as deep as we thought and he said he had dead arm after and Hulu Arias coming in uh, out of the bullpen in game two. All of these moments Moments, which are completely fine, and I think that there's been um, maybe a little bit of undue criticism at the use of those individuals. I think that that's just the Dodgers trying to use the best individual in the best moment. But if they had Clayton Kershaw, if they had one more starter there, maybe it's a slightly different conversation. Maybe there's a little bit less Tony Gonsolin. Whatever you want to say. So I do think if Walker Bueller can go out there and give them six or seven strong innings. It puts them in a totally different spot. And, you know, I think this actually gets to one of the themes that I'm noticing with the postseason this year, which is that the pitching overall has been so much better in the National League than in the American League. I mean, after one inning last night, I actually texted a friend and said, hey, remember, I was telling you the ALCS pitching hasn't been great. It's great tonight. And then (laughs) it was nine nothing Red Sox by the end of the third but there have been 15, uh, I'm sorry, there have been 11 quality starts in this postseason, and nine of those have been by National League pitchers. So if Walker Bueller can do that tonight, I think the Reds, the Dodgers are kind of back on track.
0: And it should be a great matchup. Charlie Morton will be out there, you know, spinning a lot of curveballs. Uh, he's fully capable of giving Atlanta a 3-0 lead in this series. The Atlanta bullpen's been better than expected. Uh, And I love the emergence, Sarah, of Austin Riley. I wrote a piece about him, posted on ESPN.com this morning. I talked to his old high school coach, Mark Monaghan, of DeSoto Central in Mississippi, about what he sees in Austin Riley as a player. You know, I I talked when Austin Riley first broke into the big leagues, I talked to Coach Monaghan about uh, Austin uh, and how he was as a high school player. And Coach Monaghan basically laid out exactly what we've seen from Austin Riley in the big leagues. He said, he's a kid. He said the first team meeting he had ever had, he, he had made total eye contact with uh, coach Monaghan the whole time. Like he is locked in, as he said, like he was listening to scripture and he, he's taken everything very seriously. And when he would struggle, he would process it. He would have a period of time when he was, uh, you know, going through the the adjustment that he was making, He would have some down results and then he would find his way. And then Austin Riley drafted in the first round by the Braves goes to the Braves organization. They saw exactly the same thing. He would be in class A and he would struggle for a time and then he would make his adjustments and then he would step up. He gets the big leagues in 2019 and he initially has success, bashes a bunch of home runs, and then they begin to spin sliders against him and he struggles and he struggled through 2020. And then he starts having conversation with Kevin Seitzer and with Chipper Jones. Uh, and Coach Monaghan said to me yesterday, boy, when you look at his swing now, it's a lot looser. It's a lot more free, allowing him to get to inside fastballs, allowing him to deal with outside breaking balls. And he has now emerged as a big time star for the Braves.
6: A huge star. I mean, we were talking about him last week and it's just been amazing how many clutch moments he's already had for this team. And they were chanting MVP for him. And I love to hear that because I feel like I've been saying since August that I think he should get more MVP votes than Freddie Freeman which is nothing against Freddie Freeman. I just think that Riley's season deserves so much recognition. And I mean, becoming the youngest brave with a walk-off hit in the postseason, sure, they've only had 11 walk-off wins, but they've also had a lot of players who were really, really good at a young age. And the fact that it wasn't Andrew Jones, it wasn't Timber Jones, it wasn't any of them, it wasn't Ronald Acuna Jr., but that it's Austin Riley who gets that distinction as the youngest brave with a walk-off hit. I mean, I just think it's so outstanding to see and he's been great. I mean, I was talking about last week, as you mentioned, with the breaking pitches, he's really solved that. And his plate discipline overall has been much better. He's cut down his strikeout rate by like 10 percentage points since the 2019 season. And he's in 364 this postseason. He doesn't have a postseason game without a hit. I was looking through his uh, postseason game logs earlier and I figured there was an offer in there somewhere. He has a hitting streak going. I mean, I just think it's been so great and that's a huge part of why they've been winning.
0: So uh, you'll appreciate this. When I talked to coach Monaghan yesterday and he said, I asked him, you know, I said, paint the scene for me when Austin gets the the walk-off hit. And he explained how he was in his living room screaming at the television with his wife and his two daughters who are 14 and 10. He said, "With their two cats and a dog. And I'm a dog person. So I said, hey, what's the name of your dog? And he goes, Manny. And I think you and I know if it's a baseball coach with a dog named Manny. I said, so you named it for Manny Ramirez. He goes, actually, the dog's name is Manny Ramirez Pacquiao Monaghan. Okay, (laughs) what do you think?
6: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love that. That's a great question by you. That's outstanding. But I mean, it's got to be certain names, a baseball fan, a baseball person, you know that it's named after a player.
0: Right, exactly. A boxer. And he said it was in his crate and kind of ears perked as everyone's going crazy (laughs) in the living room. Dog's like, what the
6: hell is happening? You know? (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I love that.
0: All right, let's talk about Red Sox and Astros last night. And and look, the Red Sox are putting up numbers that, uh, you know, first in baseball history in terms of grand slams. But I really believe that a lot of what's going on is because the Astros pitching is a complete. An utter mess. I I can't find a reasonable path for them, Sarah, at this moment to come through the series. You had Dusty Baker last night almost begging for zeros from somebody on his staff. And the guy he's turning to is Zach Granke, who's pitched one inning in October and 12 and a third inning since the end of August. What do you see?
6: Yeah, I mean, I. I really think that this is what a lot of us thought might happen when we saw about that Lance McCullers injury. And, you know, back to those quality starts I mentioned before, there have only been two by American League pitchers. One was Eduardo Rodriguez last night, and the other was Lance McCullers Jr. and his uh, first start against the White Sox in the ALDS. So I really think they're hurting without him. And it's just been tough to watch. I mean, not getting through three innings, the 20.25 rotation ERA. And I do think. that a lot of this is what happens when you are without your ace in October and we've seen other teams have this happen whether the ace did not make it to October or got hurt at some point within but I really don't know who they're going to be getting those zeros from and as you said I mean Zach Greinke has not pitched much lately he had both an injury and he was out with COVID so he's missed a lot of time and he also hasn't he did not pitch great for them in the postseason last year if I remember correctly and just generally he doesn't have that reputation as one of those ace pitchers throughout his career who was also nails in October.
0: All right. In a blowout win, we saw another example of why Alex Cora is different than a lot of managers or coaches in professional sports these days. You know, there's been a lot of complaints. Um, You know, Aaron Boone is an example of this, where fans complain that it's too much. uh, You're, you're the friend's uh, friend of the players and you're not the old fashioned coach uh, or manager who's going to say something sharp to a player. Well, last night, in the middle of the Red Sox blowout of Houston, we saw that gesture that Erod made make, uh, as he walks off the field, pointing at his watch, and Alex Cora yells at the veteran, no, <laughs> clearly unhappy with what he did with that gesture, uh, speaks directly into his ear as he pulls him in close, uh, as he steps down to the dugout, and after the game, the veteran player comes out and said, you know what, he's exactly right. And totally owned it. How many managers, coaches are doing that these days, Sarah?
6: I don't think any others. I love that moment. I love that the broadcast captured it and everyone was starting to speculate. Oh, what's going on? They're like, oh, is he yelling at his player? And I'm sitting there thinking, no, he's not yelling at him. He's not angry in some sort of spiteful way he's just saying we don't do that you know he understands exactly what uh, Eduardo Rodriguez was referring to obviously the uh, Carlos Correa celebration when he hit that home run earlier in the series and he's saying we don't do that we don't taunt and you know as you mentioned Eduardo Rodriguez owned it after the game he apologized and Correa was asked about it and I thought his answer was a hundred percent correct he said no I love it you know and, and harken back to actually a moment between, I think, Jazz Chisholm and Josh Rogers on the Nationals and Marlins earlier this season where they traded back and forth with kind of like a taunt and had a similar conversation post-game where they said, no, this is where the game should be. And Correa is 100% correct there, but that doesn't take away from how amazing that moment was from Alex Cora because even if both sides are okay with it, he has a point there that we're not going to do that. Let's win and then we can celebrate. And the fact that that was captured on camera and everyone gets to see how great of a relationship he has with his players I, I just thought it was outstanding.
0: Yeah, he didn't want his players stirring the Hornets nest because he knows that in this moment the Red Sox have their foot on the throats of the Astros. He yeah. knows it. Right. And he's like, don't, don't give them anything. Don't give them anything extra that's got nothing to do with what's going on the field. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this.
6: Thanks so much for having me, Buster.
0: For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Alex Spear covers the Boston Red Sox for the Boston Globe. And Alex, I I don't, it's, you're in that quandary of, do you give credit to the Red Sox for how they're hitting? Or do you look at the Houston Astros pitching staff and go, oh my God, that rotation is a complete mess. Where do you fall?
5: Well, the fact that it, extends beyond the Astros series and that you also saw it against Garrett Cole, obviously reduced by the injury, but you also saw it against the Rays where uh, the Red Sox had really good approaches against a, a number of their a number of their hitters, uh, pitchers. I think that this is the most focused offensive approach I've seen from the Red Sox all year long. Uh, you saw very good approaches at times in the first half, but it was selectively within games. What you're seeing right now is an awareness of what pitch types are being used against them and an adaptability of their offensive approach like you're seeing a lot of opposite field hits and a lot of very competitive grinding at bats to earn walks in front of those bases loaded situations that end up being grand slams because they're 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 just doing a great job right now of playing what they've been describing as a collective approach um, and so i think that there's obviously the astros are without their best starter they are uh, their third starter got injured after one inning in his outing, and they were, you know, in a scramble for everything in the rotation. So that's obviously in play, and it exaggerates the nature of what we're seeing. Uh, but I, I do think that there's uh, there's there's a yin and yang to this offensive explosion that the Red Sox have had.
0: Now we know J.D. Martinez is a serious student of hitting. We know Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, very open for information. Um, In the brief times that I've been around the Red Sox in the last two months, I've heard a lot about how Kyle Schwarber has facilitated a lot of the conversations going on uh, about hitting. What have you heard?
5: They have always had it since JD Martinez arrived in 2018, they started having the daily hitters meetings in which they would all get together before any night's game, spend at least five minutes talking about the opposing starter. What does the ball look like out of his hand in certain counts, certain tendencies? What can we anticipate? What zones might he try to attack as his strengths? Um, Where can you really get them? Um, That has been part of their culture for this is season four of it. I guess maybe not. Well, maybe season three, because 2020 was so weird and you couldn't really do a lot of things like that. Um, But I think that in and Schwarber is a huge difference maker because he kind of came in with as this guy with enormous credibility based on who he's been throughout his career, particularly who he was, uh, who he's been in 2021. And he also offered a left-handed perspective, which they had been missing a little bit in terms of that veteran voice. So now they have the right-left uh, balance of perspectives inside of those meetings. The other guy who's a very vocal presence within them is Kike Hernandez, who's kind of grown into that role. Uh, that had not been something that he had done a lot of in the with the Dodgers when he was part of their hitters meetings because he was not the senior guy in the totem pole, nor was he even an everyday player. But he's he's a really intelligent student of the game. And that has come out of him a little bit more than, than it had in the past. So those guys, I think, along with Bogarts, um, are viewed as, as the biggest voices inside of those hitters meetings. But culturally, Schwarber has been kind of an amazing addition for them. And I, I do think that if you look at their mid-season stumble, uh, they started correcting course when in a two-day period, Schwarber came off the injured list and Sale came off the injured list.
0: Yeah, Alex Gore talked after the game last night about Schwarber being like a Christmas present that drops in. They had to wait for it. He had the hamstring injury. Uh, I was really critical of the fact that they didn't get Rizzo at the trade deadline. They went for Schwarber. I had executives with other teams saying to me, "Boy, you don't know what you're going to get at Schwarber. Will he come back?" Uh, what I've heard from Red Sox people is since he's even when he was on the injured list, that culturally he has been a tremendous fit because he has so much experience. You know, he's kind of the grizzled veteran who can you know connect with the Bobby uh, Bobby Dahlbeck. Uh, who can it basically was open to anything that they asked him to do?
5: Yeah, it's been the addition has been huge. The interesting thing about Rizzo, they might have still gotten burned by this had not Bobby Dahlbeck, who benefited from Schwarber's tutelage, ended up being the, the best slugger of the American League, basically from mid-August through late September. Uh, he was he was leading the American League in OPS over a period of a month and a half. This is a very strange Red Sox team in which you've had Uh, You've had massive cold spells followed by massive hot spells for a number of their players in a way that's allowed them to avoid, aside from that one stretch of about 15 games, um, going into the tank, even at times when it seemed like they should. Really, really strange team to cover. But getting back to your original point about Schwarber, yeah, he's been an incredible source of counsel for a number of the younger players. The fact that that he was acquired to essentially push Dahlbeck out off of the position... At first base and instead ended up uh, it's a great credit to both him and Dahlbeck that they ended up forging this tremendous working relationship, uh, both enjoying each other's company while they're taking grounders at first base every day, which both of them need to do because Dahlbeck was not playing well at first base either. And now they've both gotten, I would say, competent at first base, um, Schwarber making some plays that are better than that. Uh, in the postseason that have been pretty big difference makers. Uh, It's a really interesting changing dynamic of a team. This is not the 2018 Red Sox. This is not a team that established its identity in April and then steamrolled through uh, the next seven months. This is a team that has changed who it is basically every month of the season. And somehow uh, it is seeing this like coalescence of its best identity at this time of
0: year. All right, I got something to ask you about that's not involved with the Red Sox. But before we move on from this series, uh, real quick, do you can you identify a path in your mind how the Astros could come back and win this series despite the disaster that their rotation is right now? Because I can't.
5: It's hard to do. Uh, You can if their offense just erupts, and I I think that as good as the Red Sox offense has been, their pitching hasn't been great this postseason. Nate Valdi looks awesome, but uh, but beyond that. Actually, Eduardo Rodriguez, what he's shown in his last two starts has been impressive, but he still gave up three runs yesterday, right? Um, So there's there's still this kind of like thin margin for error. The Red Sox are not a team that just shuts down opposing teams. Their success all year long was predicated on outscoring them, having adequate pitching that would keep the other team to like Three or four runs, and then they'll score five or more. Um, and if the Astros offense can, if the Astros offense can kind of break through that, especially early in games, um, if they can leave Nate, Nick Pavetta or Chris Sale uh, on their heels, then then it can shift the direction that the series is going in. Get them back to Houston, which is itself a kind of crazy environment, albeit one where the Red Sox have had a lot of success uh, in this postseason as well as in 2018. And that's that's the path. But honestly, I was talking to an evaluator after the game yesterday and he said if this is a if this was a fight, they would have stopped it.
0: Yeah, that's that's the way it felt like last night. And, and Dusty Baker basically, uh, you know, trying to plea for any kind of length from his starting pitchers uh, in game four and any kind of zeros, anything they get out of Zach Greinke. I think anything over three innings, they would be thrilled Uh, because of how bad their starting pitching has been. All right. Well, that qualifies as like a
5: quality start this postseason, right? Three innings would be, you know, that's kind of heroic labor.
0: (laughs) I know, exactly. Uh, All right. The Mets yesterday, uh, we you know, we found out that Billy Bean has withdrawn his name from consideration. Um, I don't even know if he actually was under serious consideration from his perspective. Uh, We knew that Theo Epstein met with Steve Cohn before and basically said, no, not interested. Uh, David Stearns was someone they asked uh, formally asked for permission uh, about. In recent days, they were turned down, and so here we are on October 19th, and they seem to be almost still at the starting gates in terms of trying to find someone to run baseball operations. When we've known since what February, when Jared Porter got taken down for you know harassment and was basically kicked out of baseball, that they would need somebody like that. They're at the starting blocks. And they really have known since early to mid-August, from what I understand, talking with sources, knowing that they would need a manager, which is incredible to me that they're in this position. And, and one of the things that is, I, you know, I'm getting hearing this question being asked from uh, in rival front offices is where where are the Mets getting their information? Because I think you would agree with me, you and I can have on background, off the record conversations with folks around the game and ask them and find out potentially in August or September, you know what? It's very unlikely you're going to get David Stearns. Theo Epstein is almost certainly not going to join your team. Billy Bean is almost certainly not going to join your team. It feels like the Mets just finding that out formally now seems incredible to me and to people I was talking with with other teams. Like, who's gathering their information? Why weren't they having those off-the-record talks with people to sort of define their search? Give me some perspective on that.
5: On the one hand, it, I totally agree, right? When you have a full year of anticipation and thinking through, okay, what is this going to look like um, moving forward? There's They they've left Zach Scott with an interim title uh, all year long. And so that would suggest that you would be in a position where you should be in, in you have time to figure things out. On the other hand, uh, in the searches that I've been, that I've covered the most closely with the Red Sox, um, I think that there's, there's always been this period of like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? Why is this taking so long for them to figure out what's happening? And then typically they've worked out okay. So for instance, uh, the first year I covered was 2002. That was when Mike Port was an interim manager all year after they fired Dan Duquette. And they make it through the full season. And then afterwards, they're engaged in the interview process and the canvassing process. And everyone's like, well, why did that take so long for you to get going? Because they wanted to wait every possible moment to pursue Billy Bean. And it took them forever to be able to like get everything aligned where they actually got to interview him in November, mid-November. And then they finally were able to get the, uh, the yes answer that they wanted and then the no answer that they didn't want which resulted in Theo Epstein being hired at the very end of November. And everyone said, oh, this is chaos. This is a terrible sign of a new ownership group. And it worked out okay. A couple of years ago, the Red Sox fired Dave Dombrowski in early September. Uh, so ever, so it looked like the stars should be aligned. They, they had been talking about whether or not they were going to be moving on from Dave Dombrowski well before that, right? In the middle of the summer uh, and thinking through the list of candidates if they did move on from Dombrowski, who they might consider under those circumstances, and they so they fired Dave Dombrowski in early September. Get to the end of the season. What is going on? Why don't they have all the candidates lined up to interview? They were trying to exhaust the option of seeing. Okay, Andrew Friedman is a free agent after this year. That that was after the 2019 season when they were in a postseason run. Is he going to be interested in talking to us? Uh, they were aiming for the same kind of like high level fish that the that the Mets were. Um, you know, looking for those presidents of baseball operations from other organizations who are established leaders of baseball operations department. And so when you exhaust that, then they turned in mid late October to, okay, like we, we now know that pool is not available to us. Who's the best guy. And uh, essentially every, everyone they talked to said Chaim Bloom is the best guy who's never had a, uh, had a GM or president of baseball operations job before, which is why they had one interview at that and hired Chaim Bloom. So It looks terrible when these things take a long time. Sometimes it ends up being terrible when they're dragged out. The Red Sox, I I will continue with my Red Sox perspective. Uh, Their season was, their 2012 season was messed up badly by virtue of the fact that both it took them about a month to resolve the Theo Epstein situation with the Cubs and to move on to Ben Sherrington. And then it took them another five weeks To figure out their managerial situation which prevented them from having a productive any kind of a productive off-season they had a bad off-season they had a bad hire for a manager and it ended up being an absolute train wreck of a 2012 season for them uh, which they needed another year to correct course on Uh, by the way part of the reason why it took so long to hire bobby valentine they were trying to get john farrell from the blue jays so sometimes you have it very clearly in your mind This is the right guy for the job. They ended up being right about John Farrell being the right guy for the job in that instance. They just had to wait an extra year for that to come to fruition. So that is the defense of the Mets, I suppose, in terms of the lack of celerity in terms of them accomplishing what they want to, but was it avoidable? You'd think so.
0: Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see where they go from, from here. Uh, Sandy Alderson, obviously a lot of years in baseball. I would say this too, before we go that, you know, Zach Scott, uh, someone who came from the Red Sox, uh, we don't know if he's on double secret probation, if he's you know sort of set to the side. Um, but as someone pointed out to me in baseball yesterday, look, you know he's in the organization and they should be using him to have some of these conversations. All right, Alex, thanks for doing this. Great talking to you, Buster. One team that did move forward with the hiring of a general manager, the Chicago Cubs, who introduced Carter Hawkins as their new general manager on Monday, give a listen. Carter worked his way up rung by rung in a really remarkable front office
5: in Cleveland, led by Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff. And it's obvious why they put him in roles of such great responsibility in player development at a very young age. Uh, His passion for helping young players maximize their potential uh, is infectious. And I have no, no doubt in my mind that it'll have a huge impact on that critical area for the Cubs and will help us build that next great Cubs team with a wave of young players.
3: I've been to three Major League Baseball games at Wrigley Field. All of them were in October. All of them were in 2016. Two of them were really fun experiences for me. One of them was game five of the World Series. I have this vivid memory of being on the team bus, driving away from Wrigleyville to the airport, and we were just inching along, just you know, barely going anywhere. There's people everywhere. And all I could hear was, Go Cubs Go! Over and over and over and over. And it was annoying at the time, but I also had this moment of clarity of just how unbelievable a moment that was for the organization, for the city, and for Cubs fans all over the world. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who are working every single day, 364 days out of the year, to bring those moments back to Chicago over and over and over again. And I cannot wait to roll my sleeves up and be a part of that process.
4: Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets on a Tuesday. We'll keep it quick here. Adrian Taylor at Act Wally writes in, Howdy, Bleacher Tweets fall baseball for you, but springtime down under double reason to love this time of year off season prep. Can Buster please name that baseball read he recommended a while ago about agents and arbitrage said it sounded dry as hell, but uh fascinating to Adrian. What book was that?
0: Yeah, it's definitely not dry as hell. The book is called Lords of the realm. Mm. Uh, It was written in the early and mid nineties. And so some of the, you know, the background uh, are, you know, from folks who have long since left baseball but the anecdotes, the stories that were put together by John Hellyard, who worked at The Wall Street Journal. Amazing. Amazing. If you want to know how front offices work, if you want to know the history of the labor relations uh, in baseball, uh, it's, it was an incredibly funny book. Adrian, will make you laugh.
4: There you have it. That's Bleacher Tweets for today. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. And please follow, rate, and review this
0: podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's it for today. My thanks to Sarah, Alex, and The Rev. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight Podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight Podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantel chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders, dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Choose.